0: Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Schell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are finishing up our sermon series called Reflect. And all throughout the series, we've been talking about what you and I can do to do a better job of reflecting Jesus in and through our lives. So over the last couple of episodes, we've talked about the fact that we can't reflect Jesus in our lives when we're arguing or fighting with each other, and we can't reflect Jesus in our lives when we're using hurtful or harmful words, and we can't reflect Jesus in our lives when we play favorites. But in today's episode, we're going to start talking about what we can do to accurately reflect Jesus in our lives. So let's get right into this episode sermon. On July 30th, 1946,
1: an astrophysicist. Simon Spitzer Jr. published one of the first reports discussing the astronomical advantages of having an extraterrestrial observatory. Now, if you're anything like me when I first heard the term extraterrestrial observatory, then you probably think that Dr. Spitzer was a bit of a crackpot who wanted to create a laboratory where he could study aliens. But nothing could actually be farther from the truth, because Dr. Spitzer wasn't a crackpot. He was actually nothing short of a genius. And Dr. Spitzer was amongst the first people to understand how important it would be for us to have a telescope that was observing the sky that was actually in space. And that's because Dr. Spitzer understood that if we could launch a telescope into space, that we would be able to see things that we could never see from this planet. Dr. Spitzer understood that if we could put a telescope into space, that we could bypass all of the background light and environmental issues that have been the bane of every astronomer since Galileo first turned his telescope to look at the night sky. And Dr. Spitzer understood that if we could launch a telescope into space, that, as he put it, we would be able to study the stars and see what happens. So Dr. Spitzer actually dedicated his life to trying to get a, a telescope put into space. But it wasn't until the 1970s that it looked like Dr. Spitzer's dream would finally start coming true. And that's because in the 1970s, both NASA as well as the European Space Agency took up Dr. Spitzer's dream and they developed plans to send a huge telescope that was more than eight feet in diameter into orbit. By 1981, they had completed the mirror that needed to go into this telescope. By 1985, they had finished the shuttle that would actually carry this telescope into space. And after a couple of delays, in 1990, this telescope, the Hubble telescope, was finally launched into outer space. But there was one small problem with the Hubble telescope. And when I say small problem, I mean small problem. A small problem was about the size of a fiftieth of an inch. That's less than the size of a human hair. But that, less than a fiftieth of an inch, that difference of one strand of hair, was how far off the mirror that was actually put in the Hubble telescope was from the dimensions that it needed to be. And that one small problem caused every image that came back from the Hubble telescope to be distorted. That's you know, it's kind of a funny thing about mirrors. A mirror is only as good as the image that it produces. And for the people at NASA, the images that were being produced by the Hubble telescope when it first launched into space were pretty well useless. They couldn't do much of anything with what was coming back from the Hubble telescope until they were able to fix the problem. And it took a few years, but NASA was eventually able to give the Hubble telescope what was essentially a pair of corrective lenses, to correct the distortion in the lens, allowing Hubble to accurately reflect back images from space to Earth. Now, you may be wondering why we started out this message by talking about the problems of the Hubble Telescope and Lyman Spitzer Jr., I mean, this information, it's kind of interesting, especially when you consider that the James Webb telescope was just launched into space not that long ago. But what does all this talk about the problem with the Hubble telescope and Lyman Spencer Jr. have to do with us? Well, over the last few weeks here at Melbourne Heights, we've been working our way through a series of sermons called Reflect, where we've been talking about what you and I can do, what we can do to better reflect Jesus in our lives. And we've been talking about this because the only way that others will find Jesus is if they see Jesus in you. The only way that others will find Jesus is if they see Jesus in you. So we want to make sure that we're accurately reflecting Jesus in our lives. But just like a small problem with the mirror that was in the Hubble telescope kept it from being able to accurately reflect the images of space back to Earth, no one's going to be able to see Jesus in you if you don't accurately reflect Jesus in your life. So that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. So we've been talking about what we need to do to accurately reflect Jesus in our lives. So last week we talked about conflict, and we saw that we cannot accurately reflect Jesus in our lives if we're busy arguing and fighting with you. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the words that we use, and we saw that we cannot accurately reflect Jesus in our lives if we're using harmful and hateful words to each other. And before that, we talked about playing favorites. And we saw that we can't accurately reflect Jesus in our lives if we treat some people better than we treat other people. Now, you may or may not realize this over the last few weeks, but we spent a lot of time talking about things that we should not be doing if we want to accurately reflect Jesus in our lives. We have said that we should not fight with one another if we want to accurately reflect Jesus in our lives. We said that we should not use harmful or hateful words if we want to accurately reflect Jesus in our lives. We said that we should not play favorites if we want to accurately reflect Jesus in our lives. And when you put all of this together, it really starts to feel like the only way that we can reflect Jesus is through the things that we should not be doing, instead of the things that we should do. But here's the thing. We cannot reflect Jesus in the things we don't do. We can only reflect Jesus in the things that we do. We can't reflect Jesus through the things that we don't do. We can only reflect Jesus through the things do. And this is something that the book of James, which is the book that we've been working our way through throughout the sermon series, hits on as the book comes to a conclusion. So if you've got a Bible close by, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to James chapter 5. And as you're finding James chapter 5, let me just remind you a little bit more about this book. The book of James, unsurprisingly, is named after a guy named James. And this James isn't just any James according to church tradition. This James is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who is also a prominent leader in the early church. And this book is written as James' life is drawing to an end because James wants to share his words of wisdom with followers of Jesus all over the world. What James really wants to share with followers of Jesus all over the world is what we can do to do a better job of reflecting Jesus in our lives. So with all of that in mind, let's take a look at James chapter 5 together. We're going to start reading in verse 13. Here's what James writes. He says, If any of you are suffering, they should pray. If any of you are happy, they should sing. If any of you are sick, they should call for the elders of the church, and the elders pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer that comes from faith will heal the sick, for the Lord will restore them to health. If they sinned, they will be forgiven. For this reason, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful in what it can achieve. Elijah was a person just like us. When he earnestly prayed that it wouldn't rain, no, rain fell for three and a half years. But he prayed again, God sent rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if any of you wander from the truth and someone turns back to wanderer, recognize that whoever brings a sinner back from the wrong path will save them from death and will bring about the forgiveness of many sins. So after spending a lot of this letter talking about things that we should not be doing as followers of Jesus, as we get to the end of this book, we finally reach that point where James is going to talk with us about what we should be doing if we want to accurately reflect Jesus in our lives. So what does James tell us we should be doing if we want to accurately reflect Jesus in our lives? The answer pretty simple. James tells us that we should pray. James tells us that we are supposed to pray. He tells us that we're supposed to pray when we're suffering and we're supposed to pray when we're happy. We're supposed to pray when we're sick and we're supposed to pray when we're feeling spiritually drained. We're supposed to pray for ourselves, and we're supposed to pray for each other. Through and through, James tells us in every area and every aspect of our lives that we are supposed to pray. But why does James tell us that we're supposed to pray in every area and every aspect of our lives? Well, James tells us that we're supposed to pray in all of these areas, all of these aspects of our lives. Because there is power in our prayers. There is power. There is power our prayers. It's actually why James tells us the story of Elijah in this passage. And what is it that James tells us about Elijah? tells us that Elijah prayed. And what did Elijah pray? Well, James tells us that he prayed that God would not allow any rain to fall on Israel. And that prayer was answered, and God did not allow rain to fall on Israel for three and a half years. And then James prays it again, and this time he asks that God will allow rain to fall on Israel again, and what happens? After three and a half years, God allows rain to fall on Israel again. So what can we learn from the story of Elijah? Well, it's not that we can wait three and a half years between saying prayers, because I guarantee you Elijah prayed more often than that. But what we can learn from this is that Elijah's prayers were powerful. Our prayers are powerful. And whether you have ever realized this or not, Every time that you take the time to pray, your prayers can be every bit as powerful as Elijah's prayer was. You have the power within you to pray prayers that can cause rain to stop falling for three and a half years or to cause it to fall again. That's how powerful our prayers can be. And why is that? Well, it's because when we pray, we are drawn closer to God. And when you are drawn closer to God, it's going to help you better understand who God is and what God has planned for this world as well as for your life. And when you better understand who God is and what God has planned, that's going to allow you to pray better prayers where you can ask God for the things that God wants to do or the gifts that God wants to give. So your prayers are powerful because they draw you closer to God. But notice that's not the only thing that James says about Remember that whole list of areas of our lives that James told us we should be praying in? He tells us to pray when we're suffering, when we're happy, we're supposed to pray, when, we're, when our bodies or our, our spirits are feeling worn down. And he also tells us that we're supposed to pray for ourselves, and we're supposed to pray for each other in all of these areas, all of these aspects of our life. Why does James tell us that we're supposed to pray for each other when we're suffering and when we're happy, when we're feeling spiritually or physically drained? Why does James tell us that? Well, Again, when we pray for each other, when we're hurting, we are sharing our lives together. We're being drawn closer together. I mean, there is something that is just intimate about praying for somebody when they're hurting, being invited into their life in their deepest pains. And the truth is that we in the church, we've actually done a pretty good job over the years of praying for people in their suffering. We've done a good job. We've put together prayer, or text message change, or whatever it is, to share information about folks inside of our congregation that are going through a difficult time. And we pray on their behalf. But we don't just stop with praying on their behalf. We also try to walk beside them however it is that they're hurting, even when we can't understand exactly what it is that they're going through. We want to be with them. We want to share life with them. We want to share this journey of faith together. But James doesn't tell us to just pray for each other when we're hurting or when we're suffering. James also tells us that we're supposed to pray for one another out of our happiness. We're supposed to praise God on behalf of other people. And you know what? We in the church don't do a great job of that. I mean, yeah, we might celebrate inside of the church when a couple gets married, or we might celebrate when a family welcomes a new child into this world, or we might applaud when somebody comes forward and they make a decision to follow Jesus. But that's about it. I mean, just stop and think about the last time that the church really shared in other people's happiness. When was the last time that you were a part of a church that celebrated when a 16-year-old in your congregation got their driver's license? I've heard plenty of churches crack lots of jokes about wanting to be the first out of the parking lot before the new driver gets on the road, but I've never seen a church that truly celebrates that milestone moment for an individual. Or when was the last time that your church threw an honest-to-goodness party for someone when they were baptized? We being baptized is one of the biggest things that can happen in our lives. We're officially starting our journey and our relationship with God, so it should be celebrated. But does it doesn't usually or when was the last time that your church plotted when somebody in your congregation paid off their mortgage? Those things hang around for 30 years for most of us. That deserves to be celebrated. All of these things are things that make us happy. And James tells us that we're supposed to be praising God and celebrating those things that make other people happy. But when it comes to sharing our happiness together, we in the church have missed the mark far too often. And what that tells us, That tells us that we are not being the church that God has called us to be. We are not being the church that James knows that we can be. And it also means that we're not accurately reflecting Jesus through our lives. So instead of accurately reflecting Jesus in our lives, what we're really doing is we're just kind of dipping our toes into the water of faith. We're just kind of trying it out. And we're not diving in to share life. Would the church look if we really shared life together? How different would your life look if you really shared your life with other people? How different would our world look if we shared life with each other instead of just having those conversations when we bump into somebody and tell them we're doing fine? And he you knows we have all had those conversations, those of you here in person probably had those conversations at some point this morning. You talk to somebody, and what do they ask you? They say, how are you doing? And what do you say? More often than not, fine. And then you turn around and you ask them, well, how are you doing? And what do they say? Fine. So I'm fine. You're fine. We're all fine. We're together on this fine, rainy day, and we're in a fine church, and we're going to have a fine worship service together. So everything in life becomes fine, 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 fine. What if we What if instead of just saying you're fine? Or what if instead of just talking about the highlights or lowlights from the game that we watched yesterday? What if we shared life together? What if we talked about the highlights and the lowlights from our week when we were talking with each other? I mean, that's something that I have tried to teach my daughters, and she was really little Past ten at this point, but since she was in preschool, every day when I picked her up after school has come to an end, I try to talk with her about her day. But instead of asking her, how was your day, because I know she's going to say she fine, I try to ask her different questions instead. So I'll ask her, what was the best part of your day? Or what was the worst thing that happened to you today? Or I'll ask her if she learned anything new in school. Or I'll ask her, at the very least, what special area she had. I'll be completely honest. These conversations aren't easy. A lot of times it feels like pulling teeth because the reality is she just finished a long, hard day at school and the last thing she wants to do is talk with me. When she gets in the car, she wants to sit back, relax, read a book and unwind a little bit. And we can all relate to that. But it doesn't stop me from asking the questions. And it's never going to stop me from asking the questions because I want to share life with my daughter. I want to know her and I want her to know me. So I'll talk with her about my day, and I'll tell her that the best part of my day was when a member from the church unexpectedly stopped by the office just so we could talk. Or I'll tell her the worst thing that happened to me is when I dropped mayonnaise on my shirt when I was having lunch. I'll tell her that I learned something new as I was studying the book of James and getting ready for this sermon. Or I'll tell her that all I got to do when I was at the office today was sit at my desk. I didn't get to draw any pictures. I didn't get to play any music. I didn't even learn any new games like she gets to do in all of her special areas at school. And what i found is that eventually when we talk this way, that the will start opening up a little bit and she'll share what's happening in her life. I Even mean, if it takes a while, It means that we've been home and she's needed a little more time to unwind and have a snack and play on her tablet. But that's what church is supposed to look like. Church is supposed to be a place where we share life, together. And if we want to accurately reflect Jesus in our lives, then we have to share our lives with one another. We can't accurately reflect Jesus if we don't. So we need to get used to sharing our highs and our lows and our in-betweens. We need to get used to talking about the good things that are happening in our lives, the bad things that are happening in our lives, and the ordinary things that happen in our lives as well. It's part of why God created the church supposed to be his followers of Jesus. It's part of what it means for us to accurately reflect Jesus in our lives. We are supposed to share life together. But like I mentioned earlier, we're also supposed to share our lives with God. We want to draw closer, grow closer to each other, and we want to grow closer to God. And the other really interesting thing, just by sharing Life together, sharing those ups and downs and in betweens. Just by sharing life together, the world around you is going to see Jesus in you. I mean, just stop and think about it. Far too often in this world, it feels like the only thing that most people care about is themselves. So just by caring about other people, just by sharing life with other people, We're standing out in the world around us, in a world that feels like it doesn't care about anything at all. The world needs people who love each other. The world needs people who care for each other. The world needs people who share life together. When we really care for each other, when we really share our lives, undoubtedly be showing this world who Jesus is, and others will see Jesus in us. Let's pray again. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, we know that sometimes you do a good job of sharing our lives with each other, and sometimes we don't, God. But you've called us to always do a good job of sharing supposed to be able to talk with each other, pray for each other when we're suffering and when we're happy, when we're feeling sick or spiritually run down, we're supposed to be there for one another. So God, help all of us who are your followers to do a better job of sharing life together and help this church do a better job of it too, God. Help us all to be a reflection of who Jesus is in this world no one else is going to find Jesus if they don't see Jesus through us. So let us be the people that you called us and created us to be. Let us be people who care deeply for each other. Let us be people who really love one another. Let us be people who are willing and unafraid to share life together. We pray it all in Jesus' name.
0: Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has encouraged you to do a better job of sharing your life with other people inside of the church, because that's what we as followers of Jesus are called to do. We're called to share life together, and we're called to share our lives with God. And if we'll do that, then others will see Jesus in us. Well, In our next episode, we're going to be starting into a brand new sermon series that we're calling Overwhelmed. And let's just be honest, there is a lot that's happening in our world right now that can leave us all feeling stressed out and overwhelmed, from the increase in cases of COVID-19 that we're seeing recently, to the record levels of inflation that are going on, and so many other things. So for the next few episodes of our podcast, we're going to be talking about how we can deal with these areas of stress. We're going to find some practical ways that we can overcome being overwhelmed. So I hope that you'll join us when our next episode drops. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And don't forget, you don't have to wait till next Tuesday morning for an episode to drop. You can come and worship with us live every Sunday morning at ten thirty a.m. Eastern Time on our church website at mhbclouisville.com dot com slash live. We would love to have you come and join us. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week. I will be praying for you and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.